answer this honestly. What best describes your awareness of where your money goes? Okay, I'm going to give you three options, all right? What best describes your awareness of where your money goes? First option, I usually don't know where it goes. Who, who's like, like I go, it goes somewhere, but I usually don't know wherever it goes. Okay, second option, I know where every dollar is spent. Is anybody on that uh, every? Okay, if, you know. Good stuff. The other option is I really have no clue. That's the other, anybody on the I have no clue part? Nobody wants to admit that? No? Okay. That's good. Just a, it's a question. Start, we start off with a survey. So we've been in a series uh, called Money Habits, and the heart behind this series is um, obviously to discern and reflect our own money habits and to see uh, how the scripture uh, gives us wisdom towards money habits. But we started off uh, a few weeks ago where we wanted to, we asked the question, is there is there anything about how we spend our money or use our money that reflects our heart? Because Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. And so where your, where your money is, where you are spending your money, you're investing your money, often that reveals your heart. Because our habits, including our money habits, reveal our hearts. And so we had ended that week you know, really asking everyone. I said, hey, take 30 to 60 days because you need that long to, to, to reflect on this, to track your habits and to trace uh, you know, what, what, they, what they say about you and also uh, what they make you feel. And so to track and trace. And we, we said that because we want to be fully aware of the things we do and the actions we take and to really get a sense of, of how that reveals uh, where our heart is, our trust in the Lord or not, um, our sense of contentment in life, our, our, our understanding of godly wisdom and how we apply that. Now, Jesus tied the way we understand our, uh, the way we understand money and our use of money, he tied it to worry. After he said, you know, where your treasure is, there, there your heart will be. And shortly after that, he tells us that we cannot serve two masters and we cannot allow money to be our master. And we said a couple of weeks ago, if money is our master, stress is, very, is not far behind. And Jesus, six times after that, um, tells us not to worry. And, and he ties uh, our, our, the way we understand money and the use of money if we understand it and use it in, in certain ways, it can be tied to worry and anxiety. And he invites us in that passage to put his kingdom first, to, to trust him, um, to seek his kingdom, his purposes, his righteousness, his justice first. And what we said, if that's true, if Jesus tells us to, to seek him first and seek his purposes first, then what, we, what he says is he, he really leads us to consider how we flip our understanding of money. So we had this uh, chart a couple of weeks ago, and now I'll put it on one, one slide together if you can find that. Yeah, so we said culturally, culturally, we tend to live this way, or culture leads us this way. Spend first, um, figure out, because now maybe I've got some debt and i got to figure that out. If I have money after that, I'll save. And then at the end of all that, I'm going to decide to be generous or not and give something. But according, if we take Jesus' word seriously, to seek first his kingdom to seek first his righteousness and his purposes, then, then we suggested, and I suggested that we flip the cultural trend and we say, let's start with giving. Let's start with giving, move to savings, reduce debt, obviously, and spending. And we started a couple of weeks ago saying that, that giving is vital, that, that we want to live with an open fist, open hands, not a closed fist, that we want to live with complete trust in God, 
Now we want to live with kingdom priorities, his kingdom priorities, fueling God's local mission. And so if that's the case, then we would look at the way the world leads us to, to use our money and spend our money and say, well, if Jesus has seek his kingdom first, let's flip it. And so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the habit of giving and how the habit of giving breaks the habit of worry because now our trust is in God. Our, full, our lives are in him including all our resources. Now, today I want to go further. I want to talk about some habits that are beyond giving habits because it's important to talk about giving habits, but I want to talk about other habits, things like saving and spending because most of us, I would assume, if you're here today, that you need to eat, uh, you need to provide for shelter, um, you need to you, you, use, you use money to connect with friends, uh, to fuel relationships, to, uh, to live meaningful lives, But here's the thing, we cannot, here's how I'll start this, we cannot leave our money habits to chance. We cannot leave our money habits to chance. As Jesus said, where your money is or where your money goes or where your treasure is or goes, there your heart will be. So here's the thing, your money's gonna go somewhere, always. Money is neutral, isn't that true? Money goes in, money goes out. Um, we, we choose to use our money in different ways. And so we cannot leave our money habits to chance because money always needs to be told where to go. Isn't that true? Money always, yes, good. Money always needs to be told where to go. We got some, some, uh, some acknowledgement here. So I want to look at Luke 16. And uh, here's a parable. And th- this parable uh, if, if, we, if we really take the time and, and look at the fullest implications of this, it has a much bigger purpose than just money. And, and I'll, I'll say that along the way. But I want to use this parable as Jesus used it, and, and he used this, this uh, first century example. Uh, and I think it, it says so much about uh, wisdom uh, with our money. So let, let's start off. Jesus tells this parable, Luke 16, verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possession. So the, so the story is about a wealthy person who has someone else who manages his funds, who manages his wealth and his properties. And what this uh, master or this rich person discovers, he accuses the manager of wasting his possessions. So I just want to start there. How many of us have ever wasted possessions? Right? How many of us have just like said, ah, oh, I, don't, I don't know where the heck that hundred bucks went. I mean, I don't know how I spent 400 on when I was meaning to spend two. Um, I don't know how that car salesman got me to add this, those $2,000 mags and that extra. I don't know what happened. And so how often do we waste our possessions? And we see this right off the bat, this story that Jesus is telling we, we get the picture that, yes, there's someone who owns all this stuff, but he has a manager in place, and he's telling the manager, you've wasted the possessions. And then he, he goes on, and he, he continues. So he called him in and asked him, what's this I hear about you? And he tells them this, give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. So the master is pretty upset. He looks at what this manager's been doing. He realizes he's wasted some of the possessions. And he's like, okay, this, there's a problem here. And he says, give me an account of your management. Several months ago, and I think I shared this story once here uh, in, in lieu of another message, but several months ago, my wife and I sat down with my son, Andrew, and he's been working part-time um, in different places for the last two years or so. And we said, hey, Andrew, we like... Like, he's been telling us about, I want to do this, I want to buy that, I've done this. And I'm like, hey, you know, like, he wasn't 18 at the time, so we're like, uh, let's, 
Let's look at your bank account. I mean, even if he's 18, I still want to look at his bank account, but that's another story. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just said that publicly on a podcast, but... <laughs> Anyways, the point is, is that, so he says, hey, let's, let's look at that. So we, so we printed out, like my wife printed out like three months worth of like, like his, his bank statements. And it was a really fun conversation. That's all I'll say. It was a really fun conversation. <laughs> and it was an important one. But it's not, it's not just for him that, you know, as he's, he's younger and getting to know how to spend his money. It's for all of us. It's for all of us to take account of our management. Now, let me ask you this question. Not only have you ever wasted money, have you ever taken account of your management? Your management of your funds, of your household, of the income that God has provided for you, have you taken account of your management? And so here's the question to this, to this manager in this story. Now, this manager does something that intrigues the master. Verse 3, the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? He's, he's very nervous. My master's taken away my job. I mean, I'm not strong enough to dig, and, and I'm ashamed to beg. So he realizes, like, I can't do manual labor. I, I, I don't know how to be a plumber. I, I don't know how to, you know build a house. I, I don't know how to do that. You know, I know how to do other stuff, but not that. And I, I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I do. I know what I'll do. So when I lose my job, he's preparing now, people will welcome me into their houses. So he's trying to figure out a plan and to save him a bit. So here's, here's what, he, what he does. He called in one of his master's debtors, someone who owed his master money. And he asked him, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of, of olive oil. I know that doesn't like really... I mean, if someone owed you 900 gallons of olive oil, I don't know what you would do with that, but it's a lot of salad. Um, But anyways, in that time period, it's a big deal, okay? Um, 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, make it 450. Okay. And then he asked a second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat. Again, something that you probably don't have in your basement. But he replied, and he told them, take your bill and make it 800. So, so here's, here's this manager. He decides to cut his losses. He decides to think like, okay, maybe if I get a little bit of money into my master's bank account, maybe I could work this out. And maybe if I do this and I help these people who owe him, maybe they'll give me a job when I get out. He's, and, and this sounds a little, a, little like, a little like a scam, you know, a little, a little deceptive. But it might also be a wise move. And think about this in, in Jewish culture. Jewish culture uh, would have said that you're not allowed, when you, when you lend somebody money, you're not allowed to charge them interest. You shouldn't be charging them interest. So it's very, very possible that this manager said, hey, you had this much, and this was the interest you owe. Scrap the interest, just pay the principal. It's very possible that even in that culture, maybe he was thinking about that as he was managing these funds. But he ends up doing this. And you're like, okay, well, how's the master going to reply? How's the master going to respond? In verse 8, Jesus continues the story. The master commended, positive word, the dishonest, negative word, manager. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. So here's that word, shrewdly, which, which can also be translated in other translations. It's translated as wise. That he, he looked at this and said, how could I make this situation work? And he tells this manager, you acted shrewdly. You acted wisely. So, and he commends him. Even though he was dishonest previously and he didn't do well with the accounts, he commends him for this. And it seems as though the story starts, starts to blur from Jesus telling a story to Jesus explaining a little bit. Because of the next thing that Jesus says 
he starts to interject some reality. So he says this, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light, of the light. I tell you, you use worldly wealth to gain, your friend, your, to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Here's Jesus in this story, as he's telling this story, he tells us that, that the master tells the manager, man, there's people in this world that are, are act, act, act wiser in dealing with their own kind than people of the light. And that's where I see Jesus kind of slowly blurring now the lines to what he really wants to get to. And it's a unique thing for Jesus to say, for his disciples to hear that, that there's people possibly acting in wiser ways than people of the light. I mean, the Jews were supposed to be people of the, they were supposed to be people of the light, God's people. The disciples also were now following Jesus, people of the light. The scriptures say that the, the Jewish people were supposed to be the light to the nations. And Jesus has a unique thing to say that. Isn't it strange that maybe people of the world are acting with more wisdom or are more shrewd than people of the light? Now, this is a little bit tongue-in-cheek to the religious leaders because some of the religious leaders, especially the higher-up leaders, were known to have wealth and were known to have property, but were not always managing it so well for the sake of others. So it's very possible that even in their own money management and habits, they were not really living out the, the kingdom priority. So here's a little bit of tongue-in-cheek that the, Phar- the Pharisaical leaders or the religious leaders um, you know, maybe are, are not really doing stuff for the sake of others. And also, this leans in a little bit to how the religious leaders would pour on the law to people and shun everybody away And Jesus is coming to say the kingdom of God is meant to shed light on people. Maybe if you ease off the law and describe God's kingdom to people, right? A kingdom of light. You you just might get a hearing from some people. But instead of holding people captive to the law and your ways. That's another story for another message. But keep it in your back pocket. But in some ways, it seems like Jesus is saying, you should have known the truth but in and, and wiser ways, but you're not acting in it. And it ties, he ties what the manager does to this next statement. And here's what he says. You, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And it's important here. Jesus uses the word trusted, or some of your versions of the Bible, might, of your, the version of the Bible you read might say faithful, the one who is faithful with a little, can also be faithful with much. Here's this principle. Now, there's something bigger at stake, because Jesus goes on to say, whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? So there's something bigger at stake here. There's something even more important than money. There's something more important, which is how we handle the Lord's work, how we handle the truth of God, how we handle the gospel. And there's something in there. It's like, if God's people held... The Lord's, you know, we're part of God's plan to extend it to the world. Man, if, if, if we can't handle, you know, worldly wealth, how can we handle true riches? And so there's something to be said there that's bigger at stake. But what I want to focus on here is this parable and how Jesus shares this, you know, he makes up this story to, to, to prove a point. But focus on what, what's applauded here in the story. And the, the story applauds wisdom and faithfulness. 
right? The manager acted shrewdly or wisely and is commended for it. And then Jesus, after the story's done, talks about faithfulness. One who is faithful with a little will be trusted with more. But if they can't be faithful with a little, how can they be trusted with more, and especially with true riches? So there's something here that Jesus applauds or commends, wisdom and faithfulness. Wisdom and faithfulness. When we look at our lives and we look at our resources, do we apply wisdom and faithfulness? Now, a couple of weeks ago, we said the the first habit of, of money as followers of Christ and part of his kingdom is to fuel his mission. And so we say we want to give, and we want to give first to his kingdom work and, and, and the local mission, and we want to be, grow in generosity in all ways. That's kind of first. But then, well, how do we grow in wisdom and faithfulness? And this is important because even later on in verse 13, he says, no one can serve two masters. Similar to what, what Matthew records Jesus saying in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. And it, in a sense, it's this way. If you want to manage God's provision, money can never be your master. If you want to manage God's provision in your life, God's income in, in your life, if I want to manage what the Lord um, provides for me, I should never let money be master over me. Because I will never be a good manager. If money is your master, then you will not manage well. That's important. And, and here's the thing as we, we move into these couple of habits today. That um, this has nothing to do with how much money you make. This has nothing to do with if your income is forty or 50 or 80000 or 100000 or a million dollars. It really has nothing to do with how much money you make. It really has to do with how you manage it. Now, I know that there's so many people here, for sure, I know, because some people are so gifted in actually making money. It's true. Some people have the gift of, of making money. I remember sitting down with someone uh, who was actually part of our church, and years ago we were talking through this early stages of, of, of understanding um, you know, managing our money, but this person did quite well with business. And so I said, well, why don't you adjust your budget? And he said, I, you know what? When I see that my budget has to be adjusted, I just, try and go, I just go and make more money. Now, not everybody can say that because not everybody knows how to do that, right? There's some people who are gifted and some people do that for the good of God's kingdom. A friend of mine was in a mission trip in Ecuador and he brought a team of, of uh, people there. And men, some of them were business people. And one of the people that was there was like high up VP or even super high up, I think even director over Canadian business for Astrophoto. And they were looking at a, at a new mission possibility that needed a lot of money, like hundreds and thousands of dollars, but the organization didn't have that money at the moment. And so this person's looking at this, and some of us would probably sit around and say, who can we ask for some money? But this guy looks back and say, what? I think if I start this new arm department in Astrophoto, I think I can allot a large percentage of the profits to this mission. Who thinks like that? Some people do, but I mean, not everybody, right? So some people have the gift of making money. They know how to do that, and that's cool. But for the general purposes today, this is applying wisdom and faithfulness. You can do it towards how you make money and how you invest, but I want to talk about how do we spend it? Because it's not how much you make or I make. It's how we use it. So I want to just simply, simply talk about these two really I think, key money habits. And we follow the, 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 the flipped chart, right? From giving to saving to, to spending. So I want to talk about saving for a second because sometimes, sometimes um, our culture would lead us to consume first and then get out of trouble if we have trouble with debt or whatever. And then 
learn how to save and, and then maybe give. But I, I believe the wisdom of the scripture leads us to flip that. And it's interesting because Jesus says in Matthew, in Matthew 6, 24, he says, do not worry for tomorrow because tomorrow has enough worry of itself. And some followers of Jesus would take that and say, why do I have to save? Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Why do I have to? I don't have to worry about tomorrow. God has tomorrow in, their, in his hands. So they don't even think about it. Now, Jesus never said, don't prepare for tomorrow. Jesus just said, don't worry about tomorrow. There's a big difference between preparing and worrying. How many of you have prepared for an event, but you're still worried, right? And your friend says, don't, why are you so worried? You're st-, you know, so there's a difference. You can prepare and be worried. You can prepare and be not worried. You cannot be prepared and obviously be worried. That's another story, right? And, and that's my wife and I. My wife prepares and she's not as worried. I don't prepare and I'm like, oh my gosh, uh, I forgot to pick up the cake and it's, we're three minutes from the party, right? So, um, so, so that would say, yes, if you don't prepare, yes, you should be worried. Now, here's the thing. Jesus doesn't tell us not to plan. He just tell us, tells us not to worry. I remember sitting with um, someone that helps me sometimes with insurance or uh, investments and, and really thinking through, okay, what do I want my life to be like in five or 10 or 15 or 20 years? I mean, I know that I trust the Lord with everything, but what ability, not ability do I have, but I guess opportunity do I have to plan today for what my needs might be tomorrow? And that's, that's a valid question. That's a valid question to understand as, we, as we, we engage in our money habits, are we considering something about not just today, but tomorrow? And maybe not just a long ways away, but maybe even closer. And there's an importance to that. I love how the Proverbs put this really simple way. And to, to uh, if you go to the next slide. So here's Proverbs 6, 6. Go to the ant, consider its ways, and what? Be wise. There's wisdom in ants. Uh, and then ants are creatures of little strength. We get that. Yet they store up their food in the summer. It's the craziest thing. If you, if you have anthills in your, in your backyard like I do, sometimes they're just a nuisance. And you're like, what are these creatures doing? I don't get it. I mean, they're all over the place. And then you step on it and you see more ants. And I mean, they're so busy. They're doing stuff like all summer. But then you don't see them from like October till May. Right? I mean, that anthill is not, there's no movement yet. Something's going to come in a couple of weeks, I'm sure. But these ants work really hard over the summer, and then they sit back on the couch and put their feet on the ottoman and watch TV all winter. You know, they're not doing anything because all summer they've been, what have they been doing? They've been preparing for another season that's coming because there's wisdom in preparing. No one's, God never, God always says, don't worry, but be mindful. Be preparing. And I love this idea. And it says the ant, what? Stores up. And that's a word I think we can take and apply to wisdom for our money habits. Do we store up? Do you store up for the future? Now, that might be short term. It might be as simple as uh, I'd love to go out and, and celebrate a birthday with friends next month. And I know that that evening is going to cost me $100, and I don't always use $100 in my budget. So for the next three weeks, I'm going to store up $25 a week. So that evening, I'm not going to worry. I'm going to go, and at the end of the night, I'm going to say, I spent $100, and I'm not in debt, right? Uh, it could be a little bit longer term. It could be that, that you know that, that you'd like to take a trip in maybe uh, 20 months from now, and you know that trip is going to cost you $3,600, 
And if you had to go today, you'd put it on your credit card and you'd just be paying interest. But you say, you say, wait a second, maybe if I could store up for that trip. And every month you say, you know what, I'm going to keep $150 aside. And for the next 20 months, I'm going to save that money up. And when I go on vacation, I'm really going to rest. Why? Because I know that when I come back, I won't have a $3,600 credit card bill, right? So there's, there's the potential to store up in, with wisdom to save. Now, it could be longer term. You know that your car is going to die in eight years or five years or whatever. And you're like, how am I going to save up for that? If you own a house and it's like, okay, this roof will not last forever. And man, when the roof bill comes, it's a crazy bill. It's thousands of dollars. And so the, we store up, but not just that. We talk about the future, right? Not because, not to be obsessed about the future or to create a luxurious future, but to understand that on a daily basis, so today in 2019, I, am, I need to manage my funds to live. But you know what? In 2039 or 29 or 39 or 49, I don't know how long I'm going to live, there's going to be a day that I'm going to have to manage my life. And there's going to be people in my life that I want to bless or take care of or whatever, and I'm going to have to think about that. But I might not have the same kind of strength and opportunity that I have today. So what, am, what are we doing? We're storing up for short-term, mid-term, long-term range. And you know what that does for us? It doesn't guarantee everything, but it, it creates a, an element of financial peace that we won't have on the other side of it. So yes, it's true that our ultimate trust is in the Lord. And I want to try and end with that today. And that, that breaks down our worry. And I said how giving does that as well, because we trust the Lord. But thoughtful preparation and storing up also breaks down worry. Because you, if you're human, on the other side of an expense, if you weren't prepared for it, you get anxious. Isn't that true? So, so there's, there's a wisdom to that. And so I, what I would say is this. This is really simple. Saving is the habit of delayed spending. You just catch that? Saving is the habit of delayed spending. Whether you're delaying spending for going out next month to celebrate with friends, or you're delayed spending for a trip, or you're delayed spending for education, or you're delayed spending for retirement, whatever, saving is, delay, is the habit of delayed spending. And here's one of the reasons in our time, in our culture, in the 21st century, why this is so vital. And it's this. Because our culture struggles with a horrible four-letter word. And no, I'm not going to swear right now. It's debt, all right? <laughs> Our culture struggles with debt. It's true. I, I quoted a couple of weeks ago that, many, uh, that, that, um, that, that the source of many Canadians is their finances, that Canadians spend seven hours a week worrying about money. Seven hours a week worrying about money. It's crazy. And here's why. Here's some, here's some, just some stats, Canadian stats. The debt to come in, in the debt to income ratio, that means that, that uh, the amount of money you owe uh, versus your income is 170%. What that means is that people owe $1.70 for every dollar they make. So if you've made $10,000, the average Canadian owes $17,000. That's, that's big, right? That's the debt-to-income ratio for the average Canadian. And I've been talking about money for 10 years, and the, the, the percentage never goes down. It always goes up. 
This is the first time I've read it that it says 170. Here's, this, is, this is a crazy stat, that Canadians spend 15% of their budget on debt. Not on giving, not on saving, not on groceries, not on their mortgage, not on any of that stuff. The average Canadian spends 15%. So if someone makes um, you know, $1,000 a week, $150 of that $1,000 they will never see because it's paying off debt. Canadians collectively, just on consumer debt, not mortgages, consumer debt that we rack up on credit cards and line of credits is $770 billion. It's about $2.2 trillion when we add houses and all those kind of things. $770 billion. And yet, Canadians only save 1% of their income. In 1981, you know how much Canadians used to save the peak savings? 19% of their income. Today, Canadians only save 1% of their income, the average Canadian. Now, on a corporate level, this kind of blew me away that, uh, of course, our country owes a lot of money and it goes into debt, and we're not going to talk politics here in, in any of that way. But our taxes go towards paying $80 million a day on corporate debt, just the interest. $80 million a day on interest for corporate debt, for, for national debt, not corporate debt, for national debt. So when I look at that, I say, wait a second, that's crazy. That's one of the, one of the reasons why I believe the, 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 you know, the themes in script, Scripture lead us, yes, first to trust God, put Him first, but then to manage the rest with wisdom. It's so vital. Now, this is me. I'm going to kind of like borrow a phrase from the Apostle Paul because Paul said a couple of times, like, I'm going to tell you this. It's not from God, but I just want to tell you this, okay? So here's Dave talking, not the Lord. It's always me talking, and you've got to discern if it's the Lord, but I'm telling you now that this is me talking. So this is how personally I feel about this and how in some ways I've experienced with um, both failure and success. That when we prioritize in our budgets, in our money habits, the habit of giving and the habit of saving or delayed spending, a lot of other parts of our budget takes care of itself. I know there's just different reasons for you might say, well, wait, and you don't know my income, and you don't know that I bought this couch three months ago, and I get, you know, I understand. But I'm saying, for the most part, and again, this is me, not Jesus talking, for the most part, I believe that when we prioritize giving and prioritize the habit of saving, that most of our money issues take care of itself. And here, here's why, and this is, again, me. When we give, we trust. When we have delayed spending, we're content. So trust in the Lord and fueling his purposes and learning to be content, which Paul, the Apostle Paul has said, that in our, in our contentment, we can delay our spending. We don't need it right now. We don't need it tomorrow. We can wait. So in our trust, we grow our trust as we grow in our giving. We grow our contentment as we grow in our saving. And I don't mean hoarding saving. I don't mean like never spend any of your money. I just mean wise saving. We learn to trust. We learn to be content. And in, in what I see in, in, as I'm talking to people often in their own lives and where I've both failed and grown is seeing that the habit of giving, the habit of delayed spending usually is, is the biggest obstacles to cross in our money and then other things fall into place in a better way. And here's, here's uh, you know, just this to wrap up the habit is the habit of spending. 
And I would take Jesus' words from this parable, wisdom and faithfulness, and to, t- and to encourage us and myself and say, apply wisdom, apply faithfulness to your spending. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.15, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And so here we have this opportunity as we give a portion of our income away, as we, as we save a portion of our income and do delayed spending, we have 70 or 80% that we, we need to apply wisdom to and faithfulness to. What does that mean? That means that when you're signing a lease for an apartment or figuring out if you want the extra 300 square feet in that house you're going to buy, or you're looking at the extra features on a car, or maybe you're going to buy new or used, you're saying, how can I do this with the, the remaining 70 or 80%? How, how, Lord, give me wisdom and help me to be faithful with that, to be faithful with it and to be faithful and to apply wisdom starts with this way. Just we, we need to learn. And I need to learn this as much as you because I live in the same world as you. I hear the same ads as you. I get the same pop-ups on my computer as you. I see the same, same social media feed to learn to, to not spend more than we make. I think when we give and we save, that, that helps us. And here's why. This is, again, me, not Jesus. Okay, because when I give and I know I've done that and when I saved and I know I've done that, there's something in me that says, even if I get to zero this month, my priorities were taken care of. I don't know, it just, it just helps me. It just helps me know that, that, that the life of mission I want to live and the life of wisdom I want to prepare for, if I can get those out of the way first, the, the, if I spend the, the, the remaining 70 or 80%, you know, and some, Marlene might say, no, wait, Dave, are you sure? I know, because she's like, she loves that stuff. But the, the thing is that, in a way, if I go to zero that month, I've, I've, I've given and grown in generosity. I've put aside for short-term, mid-term, long-term. And if I, if I spend the rest and it's all gone, it's okay, because my priorities were taken care of. Now, if I spend more, then that's what leads me into trouble. And so to learn to live off the 70 or 80%, that is the beautiful spirit of contentment that really... We can try and grow in that, but that grows as we trust Jesus, as we let the Spirit of God work in us, as he shapes our heart, as we know that there's more to life than just stuff, and we learn to grow in contentment because the Lord is working in our hearts. And so we learn to live off the 70 or 80% and to spend it wisely and to fuel things that matter. And here's a side reason that Jesus highlights. He says, if, you're, if, if, if you could be trusted and faithful with small things, then you can be trusted with larger things. But if you can't be trusted with small things, how can you be trusted with true riches? There's some connection here, and I don't want to over uh, I don't want to make it over, over, you know, just over-exaggerated in some way and make it more than it is, but there seems to be a connection here that when we learn to, to, to be faithful with, with what we have, not what other people have, what we have, and, and we can be trusted with that, then... There's the ability, both in a human way, but also in a spiritual way, to be trusted with more. And then this connection somehow that if we're not faithful in these ways, how can, why would, how can we be trusted with true riches, with the true things of life? So vital. So vital. But here's the reality. And this is just as, as we wrap this up today. Our money's limited. Your money's limited. My money's limited. All we, all we can do is manage it, right? All we can do is manage it. And so I believe the habit of giving, the habit of delayed spending, the habit of wise and faithful spending, and, and, and all founded in our trust in Jesus, leads to, leads to more peace. Leads to more peace. 
Now, here's the tension that you and I are going to feel. We're going to feel this tension because God is transforming your heart and God is transforming my heart. If you are a follower of Jesus, and as I'm following Jesus, I believe the Spirit of God works in us and he's transforming our hearts and he's working in us. And so the tension we're going to feel at times is he transforms our hearts and, and we want to see that transformation like shift over into our habits. And so the tension we're going to feel at times is that we still have untransformed habits. Isn't that true? Not just with money, but with other things. And so the tension we're going to feel is sometimes we will have untransformed habits that are becoming an obstacle to the transformation that God's doing in our heart. So God might, might be growing your heart towards generosity, growing your heart and your mind towards wisdom, but I can tell you that whatever habits are in place can be an obstacle to that. It can become an obstacle to that. It can, it can squeeze out what the Lord's doing in you and what the Lord wants to do through you. That's a tension, and that's something we need to bring to the Lord and help him grow us in, but also then learn to say, Lord, as you lead us, as you guide us, as you show us, man, help me to live it, Lord. Empower me to live it and move forward. Um, so I encourage you, I encourage you as we've walked through this series, uh, reflect on our habits. I want to reflect on mine. Um, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, put, put giving first, but then move towards wisdom and faithfulness and our spending and our saving and our delayed um, spending. But let me, let me just wrap up and say these, these final words. Even when we do this, life is not perfect. Even when you follow the principles, life is not guaranteed. And I remember it happened to me about a year or so ago I start, you know, I was, I'm, I was, I'm 45, and I was, I was, about a year ago, I was thinking, like, a little bit more. You know, as you kind of, like, get a little bit older, you think a little bit more about, like, what life might be like at 50 and 60, because, you know, you're a little closer, right? And so, um, as I started to think about it, I started to make some changes in, 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 in how I want to invest and how I want to prepare for the future, Right? But here's what started to happen. I'm going to be 100% honest with you. As I started to prepare and make changes and consider, you know, um, how do I want to be freed up in my 50s or 60s or 70s, really to be used from, for, the, for whatever the Lord wants me to be used by. That's part of my heart in this. But you know what was starting to happen? I started to worry. I was starting to worry. I, I was doing these things and making these decisions and, and seeking wisdom and finding counsel and asking for input and thinking and journaling and praying and crunching numbers, and I was like, okay, I think I have a plan. But you know what? I started to worry, and I'm like, wait a second, this is strange. Uh, even, I have to be careful, because Jesus didn't say, don't plan, so I'm planning. And even in that moment, I needed to sit down quietly with the Lord Journal, pray my thoughts and say, wait a second, God. I have, to, I have to come to terms with this. Even if what I'm envisioning in my financial, you know, limited brain works, awesome. Man, I'm, I'll be so grateful. But Lord, if it doesn't, do I still trust you? Do I still trust you? If the investment goes sour, if the property goes bad, if something happens in my life and all of a sudden I owe an immense amount of money or got to take care of people, or it could all be gone. So I had to sit down with me and the Lord and really wrestle with this and say, Lord, even in the middle of this wisdom, I believe you're guiding me to and I'm making plans for, in the middle of this, do I still trust you if it's all gone? And I had to sit down and just say, Lord, it's all yours. 
It's all yours. And even if it's, whether it's there or it's not there, whether I planned or not, I, I, I still trust you. I trust you every day. And that's the heart of the gospel, that we trust Jesus with everything. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are, we're just so grateful. We are lavished to be called your children. God, when we come to know you and, and, and follow your son, Jesus, your spirit fills us. We are lavish to be called your children. And because of that, God, you call us so often not to worry and not to fear. And we're grateful for that. But help us to see, Lord, that you're also giving us wisdom. And you're guiding us. Because some of our decisions and some of our choices and some of life circumstances um, sometimes oppose or come against some of the things you're doing in us and in our hearts and even some of the ways that we long to, to grow in our lives as a result of you leading us. So God, we pray kind of equally in both, both senses. Lord, give us wisdom. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be careful how we live, not as unwise, but as wise. Help us, God, to, yes, um, store up in wise way in wise ways with a heart of contentment and trust not not greed or desire god for for a life that would be a life of peace because we trust you because we're following your wisdom and your grace and at the same time god help us to have full confidence in you you are our great provider the earth is the lord's and everything in it God, help us to live within that balance. First off, as we trust you, give firstly to you. And then as we pursue your wisdom, um, as we, you give us the opportunity to manage um, the rest, always trusting you with it. So God, we pray this in your incredible name. Amen.